We're in chapter 19 in Kings 2, and we left off where the king of Assyria, Sanchriv, he sends a message through his emissaries to Chizkiah, the king of Judea. And in this message, he, he leaves these letters, he blasphemes the God of Israel. Um, this is verses 10 to 13 that we read. Uh, he states things like, uh, all the other gods were not able to save their nation from the mighty Assyrian army. And likewise, the God of Israel is incapable of saving Jerusalem. And along those blasphemous lines, he says to Chizkiah that don't let your God delude you and your bitachon in Hashem is delusional and there's no way you can win this thing. So with that, Chizkiah is going to, uh, now in verse 14, the question is what's Chizkiah going to do about it? So it says in verse 14 the following, Vayikach Chizkiah et Sfarim. So Chizkiah takes the letters, here it's just the books, but they're letters for our purposes. Miyad Malachim. he takes them from the hands of the messengers, the Assyrian messengers, Vayikra'em, and he reads them. See, he didn't read it yet. We read it because we were reading the Tanakh. But he is now reading them for the first time. Vayal Beit Hashem, and he goes up to the house of the Lord, which is the temple, of course. And he spreads out the letters before the Lord. So he takes the letters with their blasphemous content and he lays it on the temple floor as if to say, okay, Hashem, look what it says here. You know, take over now, you know. It's your tipul, as they say. Take care of this. Okay, so actually, what does he actually say now? He prays to Hashem. Now, now we're going to have a couple of verses of Chizkiah's heartfelt prayer to, to Hashem. Verse 15, And Chizkiah prayed before the Lord. And he said, Hashem Elokei Yisrael, O Lord God of Israel, Yosheva Kruvim, who dwells between the Cherubim, so that's kind of interesting right there that when Chizkiah addresses Hashem here, he, he calls him the one who dwells between the Cherubim. Why would he give him that term? Um, well, the Cherubim, of course, is those angels that were sculpted out of gold and they were placed on the lid of the Ark. So he's talking about the Ark here because, of course, the Cherubim were on the Ark, on the, on the cover of the Ark. And the Ark used to go out to war when the Jews went out to war they would often bring out the ark with them in their machana, in their camp. The classic example of it is in the beginning of the book of Samuel in chapter four, that the Shiloh, in Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, the Jewish army, they, they went and they brought out the, uh, the ark. And it was called then, they brought out the covenant of the Lord who was, in, who was dwelled between the cherubim. They used the exact same term when they brought out that ark in their battle against the Philistines. And this is uh, invoking the military aspect of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, that Hashem is a Ishmael Chama. He's a man of war, as we say in our prayers. We call him Hashem Tzvaot, the Lord of hosts, right? So that's what um, Chizkiah is, is appealing to, Hashem's uh, role or aspect of military, because that's what we want. We want him to get involved here against the Assyrian army. So he continues in his prayer, Atahu Elokim Levatcha, you alone are the God of all the kingdoms of the earth. So by saying that, he's obviously countering the, the blasphemy of Rav Shekeh and Sanchriv, who are constantly talking about the gods of the other nations, the gods and the gods of this nation, of that land, uh, of those peoples. 
But it's not like that. There's no such thing as these local gods. So he's saying, you alone are the God. As we say, you're just, you're the one. Not like they uh, say. Um, of course, they don't understand the monotheism. Uh, the Jews uh, were chidush in that. It was a, they don't have that in their religious outlook. And so he continues, you alone are the God. And not only that, you made the heavens and the earth. And if you could do that, certainly you can take care of Assyria, right? Okay, so verse 16. O oh Lord, incline your ear and listen. Open your eyes and see. So this is, of course, personification. It's not that Hashem really has eyes and ears, but often in biblical literature, for the imagery of it, we, we attribute, you know, human characteristics, characteristics to Hashem. It says like this, Ushmai listen to the words of Sanchriv, who was sent to blaspheme the living God. And then again, that's why he puts those letters on the floor. Listen and read these letters. Take action. Then he continues in verse 17, Umnam Hashem, it's true God, there's no doubt that Assyria has destroyed the nations and their lands. You know, I'll give him that. We got to give him that. They've been pretty darn successful destroying the world. And they've committed all their gods to fire of these other nations. But those aren't real gods. But they're the handiwork of man. They're man-made gods. It's heaven. Wood and stone, the Abdum, and they destroyed them. So now, after differentiating between the real God and these phony gods that have been destroyed, now he comes to his request, and this is the final verse of the prayer, where again he makes his request, and now, and this is like kind of, and now meaning in light of all this, Hashem Elokeinu, Lord our God, Hoshienu Namiado, deliver us from his hand. And let all the kingdoms of the earth know that you are the Lord God alone. So we see in this prayer here where Chizkiyahu is pleading with Hashem to intervene and save the Jewish people. He's focusing on the blasphemy of the enemy, on the Chilul Hashem, on the, des on the desecration pleading with Hashem to prove to the earth that you are the only God. After all this desecration that, that we've heard, this is the focus of his prayer. He's not concerned that the Assyrians belittled the military prowess of the Judean army like we saw previously. That's not the focus of the prayer here. It's entirely on the desecration of Hashem's name, pleading with Hashem here to sanctify his holy name, which has been desecrated. And I want to take a, a dive into this concept of Hashem on a national level because it's really uh, misunderstood in many, uh, by many religious Jews. As a matter of fact, uh, Rabbi Meir Kahana, he wrote once that he weeps over the way that Kiddush Hashem and Chilul Hashem have been distorted and misunderstood in our times. And why is it so tragic? The rabbi continues, because Kiddush Hashem is precisely the compass that could bring the ship of Israel into safe harbor. So what, what do I mean uh, when I say it's been misunderstood, the concept of Kiddush Hashem, Chilul Hashem? Because usually when people talk about Kiddush Hashem, 
the sanctification of God's name, they're talking about the individual Jew. Like it says in the, in the Talmud, in Tractate Yoma, 86, uh, 86a, there's a discussion there, what's Chilul Hashem? So they say, what's Chilul Hashem? And then Rav, one of the rabbis in the Gemara, Rav, he said, Chilul Hashem is like me taking meat from the butcher and not paying immediately. So that is, you expect from a, a righteous Jew like Rav, you know, to pay right away, and not put it on credit. You know, he's on that level. Rabbi Yochanan said, for me, Chilul Hashem is walking Arba Amos without speaking words of Torah or wearing tefillin. So Bishril Rabbi Yochanan, he's on such a level that if he walks just a short distance without Torah on his lips or wearing his tefillin, that would be a Chilul Hashem. And then other rabbis, you know, other rabbis chime in and give other examples. I'm not going to give, you know, read the entire Talmud, but you get the point that for any Jew, any religious Jew, you have a certain responsibility. If you, if you have a kippah and tzitzit and people see they're a religious Jew, to conduct yourself properly. And if a Jew conducts himself improperly, in public, let's say on a bus, that would be a chilu l'shem. Because people would say, hey, that's how observant Jew behaves. That's, that's Torah, that's Judaism. And of course the opposite. If you carry yourself with derech eretz and, and you're courteous and so forth, that's a kiddush Hashem. Okay, so in the eyes of most religious Jews, this is what kiddush Hashem and chilu l'shem is all about and nothing more. But there is a Kiddush Hashem and a Chil Hashem on a national level. I'm talking Kiddush Hashem for the Jewish people, not for the individual. And that's something else entirely. And it's a concept which is so prevalent in the Tanakh. And if you don't learn the Bible, you're not going to pick it up. Even from any other Jewish source from the Gemara, you're not going to pick up this concept of national Kiddush Hashem and Chil Hashem. But in Tanakh, it's a a common thread that runs throughout the entire Tanakh. And what I'm talking about is regarding the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, when Israel's weak and humiliated and being trampled by the nations, it's perceived by our enemies and the world as the weakness of the God of Israel. It's as though he can't save his nation from their foe. You see, the Gentile, he doesn't understand that he's only a tool in God's hands to punish or test Israel. So when the Assyrians utter these words of blasphemy against Hashem, that's interpreted as the weakness of Hashem. He can't save his people. If he truly existed, he would not let us persecute Judea. That's a chilul Hashem from the word halal, meaning vacuum, meaning that God is being emptied from the world. Now, once you grasp this concept that Hashem's power is reflected through the Jewish people, you start to see events from a different perspective. For instance, you don't just view the, the present Middle East crisis here between the Israelis and the Arabs as some political problem. You look at it through the glasses of Kiddush Hashem and Chilul Hashem when, within the land of Israel, we have the power to eradicate Arab terror, but we don't. And that's Chilul Hashem because whenever a Jew is harmed, let alone murdered, Whenever the Jewish people on the land of Israel are cursed and reviled by non-Jews who dwell in their midst, this constitutes a terrible Chilul Hashem. And not, not just terror, but every attempt at giving away parts of the land of Israel to the nations is likewise a Chilul Hashem. It's not politics. It's a desecration of Hashem's name because it's like saying he doesn't have the power to back us up. He gave us the land in the Bible, but here we are abandoning parts of the land of Israel, meaning that Hashem doesn't really 
exist, God forbid. That's why you can't give up land. And so, again, it's not, it's a Torah issue here. It's not an Arab-Israeli conflict. It's not a Jewish-Arab conflict. It's a matter of Judaism versus Islam. Of a Kaddish Baruch Hu versus Allah, okay? And that's why the Arabs are always screaming, Allah, 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 and they're building uh, uh, their mosques on our, on our holiest sites because they understand that it's a religious issue here. It's a religious conflict. Now, also, when you understand the concept of Kiddush Hashem on a national level that I just explained, you also understand something else that's been a, a source of dispute forever amongst religious Jews ever since the subject, subject came up. And that's the question of how one views the present state of Israel today. Um, there are those who say it's the beginning of the redemption. There are those who say it's the Sitra Achra, very opposite, it's the devil's work. And there are then those another camp will say, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a bunch of Jews all together. Just like, you know, in Brooklyn or in Poland. Now, those who don't think that the state of Israel is a blessed thing, and certainly not the beginning of any redemption, let's call that the Haredi camp, okay? If you want to cubbyhole things, they make the following claim. They say, look, the first time we came into the land, you know, it was Joshua B. Nun. That's a pretty good Jew. The second time we come in for the second temple period, Ezra, Nehemiah, good Jews. Now, but the third time after the exile with Ben-Gurion, I mean, the founders of the state of Israel, today's state, were secular at best and, and heretics at worst, wicked even, if we can call some of them. So therefore, if those are the founding fathers, these people say, the Haredi camp, there's no way that the state of Israel can be the beginning of any kind of redemption. And they have a good case. But if you grasp the principles of Kiddush Hashem, that the nations measure God's power according to the strength or weakness of his people Israel, then you realize that even if Israel is not deserving of redemption and salvation, even if Ben-Gurion is the biggest, you know, Russia in the world, totally wicked man, let's say, God still saves them, still will still save the Jewish people to redeem them in order to sanctify his name, which has been desecrated during a 2000 year exile. And this concept is stated so clearly uh, all over the prophets, especially in Ezekiel 36. And, you know, it's a shame that we've abandoned, you know, Bible and scripture, forfeiting our, our philosophical sources by not learning Bible enough. Because from the prophets, we can understand why a Jewish state arose, despite the fact that the Jewish people weren't worthy of it. And just a quick look at Echeskiel, chapter 36, verses 19 to 24. I'm sorry, taking a little of a deep dive, but it's such an important uh, concept here in Judaism. And there it's all spelled out. He says here like this, I scattered them among the nations. So Ezekiel is prophesizing Hashem is scattering us among the nations after the second temple uh, was destroyed. We were all over the place. You know, to, some Jews went to Poland, some went to Yemen, some went to Morocco. And then it says, they profane my holy name. How do we profane Hashem's holy name? He explains, the people said of the Jews, these are the people of the Lord and they, they are gone forth out of his land. That is Israel's presence in the exile. That itself was a chilul Hashem. Israel's very presence there as an unprotected minority, scattered and homeless, 
among the nations exposed to slaughter and humiliation without a land, without an army, that's Chilul Hashem. Now he continues, but I had pity on my holy name, which the Jews profaned among the nations. And this is now he's going to bring us back to Israel in the prophecy. And he says, I had pity on my name. Therefore say to the Beit Yisrael, to the house of Israel, I do not do this for your sake, Lulamanchem, O Yisrael, not that you're deserving of it, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. That's why I'm doing it. Laman Shem Kochi, for my holy name. And there it is. Uh, and then the prophet goes on to explain how he will take us from the nations, bring us back to the land of Israel, which of course is the very opposite of Chilul Hashem. Because if the humiliation of the Jew is a Chilul Hashem, then the triumph of the Jew, when you win wars in six days and you have a state, that, that defeats its foes. This is Kiddush Hashem, the very opposite of weakness. And it's no, it's no coincidence that the state of Israel came on the back of, of the Holocaust. You can't deny the connection between those two events where the Holocaust was where the Nazi not only murdered the Jew, but he said, where is your God? Why doesn't he help you? That's Chilul Hashem. And therefore the state of Israel came after that, Hashem said, enough of that already. For my name, I'm bringing them back. So going back to our story, the taunting of the king of Assyria and Rav Shekeh in the previous chapter, their profaning of God, this is what Chizkiyahu presents before Hashem, these letters. Because so to speak, it compels Hashem to take action to sanctify his name through his people Israel. And it's the most potent argument you can make uh, in the end. You don't see Hashem. The Goyim don't see Hashem. We don't see Hashem. But you see his people Israel. And through that, it's reflected if Judaism is the, is the right religion or not. And um, in the next verse, we go on on verse 20 and up, we're going to look at pro prophet Isaiah is going to uh, bring down a long and important prophecy. And uh, it's very poetic, more esoteric than most of the words we've been reading in Melachim. And it will be the answer to King Chizkiah's prayers. Stay tuned.